All Souls Church, Pastor Harvey here. Uh, if you're visiting our church online, uh, we would love to see you on Sunday sometime at 10 a.m. Uh, here in Burbank. Uh, we're a church, we call ourselves All Souls Church because we're really here for all souls. Anybody who wants to know about Christ and seek Him and know about His gospel, we're for believers and skeptics. And so come check it out if uh, you're just watching online. With that, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Genesis, but today we start a new series in the book of Genesis. So the first series was chapters 1 through 11, which we called The Origin of Everything. And today we start a new series called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And really it, it's about the, uh, the forefathers of the faith, the what are called the patriarchs of the faith. Uh, and you'll see today how, how that unfolds. Um, so... <clears throat> Uh, today's uh, t uh, title of the sermon is Abraham, Sinner and Saint, or Saint and Sinner. And we're going to be looking at how Abraham is the man that God calls, but he's not a perfect man. What makes him a saint is his faith in God. And as we're going to see, he's also a sinner. And um, this is true of all of us. And so uh, let's go ahead and read the text, pray, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 is where we're going to start. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of, of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abraham, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took, and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land, to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. And at, the time, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel in the west and Ai in the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram, Abram journeyed, on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. 
Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the prince, princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram. He dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So they took her for my own wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, open up the text to study the beginning of the journey of Abraham, the great father of our faith, uh, give us his faith to trust your word and to believe in you. And also, Lord, let us see that he was flawed so that we don't get too discouraged when we see our own flaws. That you called him, you knew he was flawed, and yet you called him to be the father of our faith. So come, Holy Spirit, and teach us for the sake of your name. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, as we move on from uh, prehistoric times, uh, there is a question that still lingers. And what I mean by prehistoric times is Genesis chapter 1 through 11 is kind of seen as the prehistoric times. And now we're moving into uh, the beginnings of the nation of Israel, the beginnings of the unfolding of God's plan, and we get a little more insight in what God's plan is. So in prehistoric times, there was still a lot of misunderstanding. There was a lot of wondering, what, what is it going to be like? They knew they had a promise that God would send someone one day that would reconnect the world to God. But still at this point in history, people uh, didn't fully understand or grasp how that was going to come about because God had not yet revealed it. Well, the questions that are lingering for the people at this time are, are this. How and when will God save the world? We heard he's going to send someone. Uh, where will the promised one come from? Who is he? Will he come from the great prehistoric empires? Will he be a son of a great king or a pharaoh? Will he come with great army and conquer the world? Or is the whole thing about this like one that will come and save just an old wives tale of some kind? Are we just alone here? These were the questions that people were asking. Are we just alone? Is it just us in the world? There is no God. There's nobody that cares for us. Or maybe they had turned to other gods uh, gods that they made in their own image, demon gods, etc., etc. Well, in the midst of this situation, when the world is still wondering if God is going to send a Savior, and many had given up on the idea of God sending a Savior, God goes to a small Bedouin family about 400 miles northeast of the future land of Israel in a city called Ur, which is modern-day Baghdad. He finds a moon-worshipping man named Terah who had a small livestock business and three sons named Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Under God's providence, Terah moved his family to Har from Ur to Haran, about 300 miles north of what is now called Jerusalem. Terah's older son, Abram, married a beautiful young girl named Sarai, who was tragically barren. 
Unable to have kids, an essential in the ancient world, Abram and Sarai lived in sorrow privately and in shame publicly until the day when the true God of heaven and earth came and spoke to them about a new future where they will be the greatest parents in the history of the world. We now call him Father Abraham. They will have a son who will have a son who will have a son who will have generations of sons until finally the son appears in the family line. This son will conquer evil, heal the wounded, and reconnect humanity to God. Abram was not righteous or more religious or more faithful or of better quality. He was not good in the moral sense or more brave or intelligent than other men. Abram was not seeking the true God, but was like other men in her, very content with the moon gods and solicitous solicitous rituals and horrific bloodless sacrifices and the position and communal status of the ancient pagan cults. He was a normal pagan guy, probably similar to the most unsuspecting guy in your neighborhood, just hoping to slam a few beers and get the occasional round of golf in or sporting event. He ran his father's business, kept a roof over their head, and just lived in sorrow, knowing that he was never going to have kids. Until God's word came to him. Now, we should not think of Abraham as like some kind of religious superhero. I think sometimes we look at the characters in the Bible and we think these are like religious superheroes of some kind. But no, if you study the Bible, what you'll find is every single one of them is broken. Uh, th there's nobody in the story, even the great fathers and of the faith, the people that we look to, the people that we study, all of them are a mess. All of them are broken, just like you and me. So we shouldn't think of him as some kind of special forces of spirituality. No, he was a normal pagan guy who didn't even worship the true God. He worshiped false gods. And um, as we shall see week after week, he's just a broken sinner. Just like us, he's just a broken sinner begging for bread, showing everyone who the most benevolent bread-giving father is. So I want you to keep this in mind as we study Abraham. He is the great father of our faith, but yet he's a normal human with flaws and brokenness. So the main point of my sermon today is this. It's actually a quote from my favorite theologian, Martin Luther. He said one time, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. Now what I mean by that is that we are all, in a sense, crooked sticks. We're all broken. We're all flawed. But God takes our broken lives and draws straight lines, the straight lines of his gospel, the straight lines of his mission in the world. So he doesn't choose good people uh, or better people uh, to take the faith forward. The reason why is because there are no good people or better people. Everybody's flawed and people are just flawed in different ways. Some people's flaws look like this, and some people's flaws look like that, but the reality is everyone is flawed, including Abram, who later becomes Abraham. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. All right, so let's take a look at a couple of things in the first part of the passage, uh, in the part 1127 through 32. I just want to point out a couple of things there. Uh, as I already said, he was from Ur of the Chaldeans. In Joshua chapter 24, uh, verses 2 and 3, uh, Joshua tells us a little more about Abraham's past. 
Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. So that's the first thing you need to understand about Abraham. When God came to him, he was worshipping false gods. Okay? He was not like a good guy that God looked throughout the whole world and said, Who could I trust? Who could I look to? Oh, Abram. Of course, he's the best. No, he was worshiping false gods. And in the worship of these false gods, you know, I don't want to get too detailed, but there was pagan rituals of, uh, of basically orgies in the temple in which you would worship these false gods. You would also be uh, required sometimes to sacrifice your children to these false gods and throw them in pits to appease the false gods. Um, and this is what Abraham did. This, is, this was his worship. This was his life. He lived in a pagan nation. He was a pagan person. And he, uh, don't think of him as a good man that God said, oh, there's a good man. I could use him. Think of him as a normal broken person just like you and me. Uh, but in that passage in Joshua, uh, Joshua says this, but I, uh, quoting God, but I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants and I gave him Isaac. So what it's saying there is that God says, I took him. I did it. I called him. He didn't rise to the top as the cream of the crop and God was like, whoa, Abraham, that's my guy. Instead, he was just in the sea of broken humanity, just a guy. In other words, God came to him and spoke to him by grace. He surprised him with grace. Abraham hadn't earned anything. He was not a better caliber in any way. He was just a recipient of grace. And now what's interesting is the last week we saw in the Tower of Babel how man tried to build this tower to prove himself to God and make a name for themselves. But what we'll see here is that God, immediately after that attempt to try and make a name for themselves, goes and finds a pagan and makes a name for him. And this is how it works. God makes a name for us. God gives us grace. God takes crooked sticks and begins to draw straight lines. And don't think that at the moment that Abraham uh, you know, came to faith in God, things changed and he got all better. No, as we're going to see week after week as we study Abraham, this guy is a mess, just like me and you. But the difference is the thing that makes him who he is is his faith, just like me and you. And in fact, he becomes the model of what it means to put faith in God, to be justified by faith and faith alone. All right, so uh, a couple other things. We saw that Sarai, his wife, was barren, not able to have children. And as I pointed out just a moment ago, this would have caused private uh, brokenness and sadness in their life and public shame. Because in this culture, if you don't have kids, you're nothing. Uh, the, everything is built upon having descendants. And here, Abram and Sarai, who love each other, Abram's this guy, he has this beautiful wife, and it's mentioned several times that she was beautiful. So I think if the Bible says you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Uh, he has this beautiful wife, but she's not able to have kids. And it's this couple that God takes to restart his mission to reveal uh, how he's going to save the world. And he's going to save them through them having kids. 
and being the parents in the sense of our faith. It's an amazing story of God's grace. So I want you to see that God comes to Abram and surprises him by grace, saves him by grace when he was a pagan, when he wasn't even seeking God. This is what God does with us. He takes crooked sticks and he begins to draw straight lines as he saves them by grace and gives them faith. So let's now see how God comes to him by grace. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham. I want you to see that it is God's word that comes to Abraham. That it's God's word that awakens Abraham. And it's the same for you and me. Uh, when, you became, uh, when you came to faith, it was God's word that awakened you. God, somebody spoke his word, somebody preached his word, you read his word, whatever it was, the way in which we come to faith is by God's word. This is the reason why we preach through books of the Bible, God's word, is because this is how we come to faith, and this is also how our faith is strengthened. So the Lord said to Abraham, God comes to him. Now what that must have been like, you know, Abram, uh, he didn't even know, um, he didn't know about this God. He'd never, you know, maybe there were echoes and, 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 and um, understanding maybe somewhere in the culture about this God, but this God, Yahweh, just comes to him and speaks. And this is, this is a guy that was worshiping false gods, as we've already pointed out, and this is what God says. This is pretty powerful. This is pretty amazing that Abraham responded to it, and this is how we know God put grace in him. He says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, Abraham, I want you to go from everything you know. I want you to even uproot yourself from your family, uh, ev your society, your country, your people, your traditions. I want you to leave it all behind and come and follow me. Now, thousands of years later, our Lord Jesus said something similar. If you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself and come and follow me. You've got to lay down your life and come and follow me. And so this has always been the call of God's people. God saves by grace and then demands of us to follow, demands of us to live out of that grace. All right, so verse 2, this is what God says. Now this is just pure grace. Abram doesn't earn any of this. Listen to what God says to him. And I will Make of you a great nation. God, I'm just going to do that. I, just purely by grace. I'm going to take you and make of you a great nation. This is a guy that is childless. And now God is telling him, from you, you're going to have children. And those children will become a great nation. And eventually, from that great nation will come the one. So what's happening here in the story of Genesis is that we had heard that the one is coming. Now we know which family he's going to come from, and this family will become a nation, the nation of Israel. And the whole idea of God choosing Abram was not even fully just about Abram. It was about the fact that God chose Abram to build a family that would become a nation, and from the nation would come the Messiah who would bless the world. So he says, uh, I'll make of you a great nation. I will, and listen to this. There are six blessings that he gives here. First, I'll make of you a great nation. Then I will bless you and I will make your name great. In contrast to the Tower of Babel where they tried to make themselves great, God says, I will make you great. And this is what we need to understand is that God is the one who will make us 
great through his purposes, his will, not the ways of the world. And then he says this, uh, I will make, after he says, I will make your name great, he says, I will do this so that you will be a blessing. So I'm not just going to make your name great for you. I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is what all of you need to understand is that God does not just save you for you. He saves you so that you can bless the world. Okay. And then he says this, uh, he continues with the blessings. I will bless those who bless you. That's amazing. Anybody who blesses you, I'm just going to bless them just because they're blessing you. And then he says, him who dishonors you, I will curse. If anybody comes against you, I'm going to curse them because you're mine. These are God's blessings. He's giving these things to him by grace. Abram is, is dumbfounded. Uh, he, he just out of nowhere, this God, the true God is coming and saying these things to him. And then he says this, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, you, in you, the entire planet, every person on the planet will receive blessing through you, Abram. God just came to him by grace and gave these things. It's an incredible thing that God does here. So look at verse 4. After these blessings, after, after all of this, verse 4, So Abram went as the Lord told him. This is how we know that he received the grace of God and that through the grace of God, he had faith. He trusted God's word. This is what it means, by the way, to have faith, to trust God's word. To trust God's word when you can't see him, when you can't see the future, when you don't know what is coming, but to trust his word above all else. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. That's going to be important next week. Lot is a very important part of the story next week. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered. So uh, he had taken over his father's business, and he had built this business up, and they had quite a bit of, he, he became a wealthy man. In fact, it even says he was so wealthy, look at the next part of verse 5, and the people they had acquired in Iran. So he's so wealthy that he has all these people working for him and coming with him. And I think there's even a hint here of maybe Abram was doing a bit of evangelism. That he was saying, like, this God has appeared to me and he has said he's going to bless me. And he told them about the God, spoke the word of God to these people, and they believed. And now they're traveling with Abram and become part of his family. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land in the place of Shechem to the Oak of Moriah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So he goes to this place the Oak of Moria. Back then, you know, you didn't have road signs and streets, but there was a, this one particular oak that was in the middle of a field that everybody seemed to have known, and that's where Abram went at that time. <clears throat> verse uh, 6, or verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who would appear to him. So God said, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to build up a family. Now he takes them to the land. He says, this is the land. And from right here, um, you're going to build up this family. So right then, Abram builds an altar. 
an altar of stones. And the purpose of an altar was a, a sign of remembrance. One of the songs we sing calls it an Ebenezer. It's something you lift it up and as a memorial to God. But then on the altar, you make a sacrifice, showing that Abram is part of this tradition going all the way back to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and so on and so forth, where the worship of God will come through a sacrifice, that our connection to God will always be through a sacrifice. Then after that, he moves to Bethel and sets up camp and lives there and finds this to be his home for at least a period of time. And he builds another altar and he worships God there. All right. Um, verse eight. From there, he moved to the uh, sorry. Verse nine. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now. Here's where the story shifts. So, so far, what I want you to see is God gives grace. Abraham exercises faith. God blesses him, says, I'm going to bless you with all these things. So I want you to see the faith of Abraham in response to God's grace. But now we're going to see something interesting. He has faith, but that doesn't mean he's perfect. There's also unfaith, unfaithfulness in him. There's faithfulness in him. He, he uprooted everything and followed God, but there's still unfaithfulness in him. Look at this. Now there was a famine in the land, verse 10, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Okay, here's what's happened. Abram trusts God, but that doesn't mean he's perfect yet. He's still extremely flawed. He's a sinner and a saint. God is going to draw straight lines with a very crooked stick, as we're going to see with Abram in his life. What does he do? I mean, see, see, hard situations, they reveal our vulnerabilities and weaknesses. So Abram has the faith to trust God basically with his whole life. But what we're going to see here is he doesn't have the faith to trust God on the day-to-day -day yet. He, he, oh, God, you could have my whole life. Well, but not this. And this is what we all do. We come to God and we say, I need your grace to save me. I give myself to you. But in the minor details, we're like, no, that's mine. I'm, I'm keeping that. Our level of maturity is revealed through the living process. And what we see here is Abram is a man of faith and faithfulness to some degree, but his maturity is not fully there yet. He's still self-preserving. He's filled with fear. They're going to kill me. Now, why is that a sin? Because God had already promised him that he's going to make a great nation out of him, that nothing's going to harm him. So if he would have gone into this situation trusting God, he wouldn't have doubted, he wouldn't have created this scenario, he wouldn't have betrayed his wife, he wouldn't have lied and deceived and manipulated the situation. Uh, what's really going on is that he has this ability to trust God with his whole life, but not these things. And this is true of all of us. This is where the brokenness is still within us. The minor details, we're not willing to trust God, so he has fear. And he shouldn't because God's already promised, I'm going to bless you. Nothing's going to happen to you. He's, he's self-preserving. He's manipulating. He's hedging his bets. He's dishonest. So in other words, he's saying, I'll follow you on the big things, but not the details. 
And in the midst of this, God even preserves him in his foolishness. And this is what God does with all of us. See, don't think because God has called you and you're a Christian and you love God and you've given your life to God that you have arrived yet. There's still plenty of brokenness in you, enough to destroy you and destroy other people, and there's enough brokenness in you to keep you humble, or at least it should. So look what happens here. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. Wow. Even though Abraham was unfaithful, God was faithful to him. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done? Like, why did you do this to me? Uh, somehow he knew it was the true God that was now afflicting his family. He said, you lied to me. You told me that this was your sister and not your wife. And now uh, God has some kind of promise with you. And now I'm about to sleep with her. And if I would have, it would have destroyed me and my kingdom. It would have destroyed a lot of things. But, so that's evil. But think about what Abram did to his wife. How did she, He broke her heart. He betrayed her. But God still preserved him. It's amazing how God works. God works in our brokenness, through our brokenness, around our brokenness, on top of our brokenness. He heals our brokenness. And then we see that Pharaoh packs him up, gives him all of his possessions, and says, go away. Why? Because God was protecting him. Usually, a Pharaoh like this would just kill him. Why did you lie to me and take his wife? But because God had intervened, God was protecting Abram even in the midst of his most foolish moments. And this is what God does for us. Don't think because you've given your life to God that you have it all together. You're a crooked stick. And you can see how God is drawing straight lines with you. And sometimes when you see how God is drawing straight lines with you, you get the impression that it's you that's making that happen. But what we see in this story is that it is God that is writing the story, and He's writing the story of grace through our foolishness. Now, this passage actually becomes one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. It's referred to many times by the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, but I just want to give you one time uh, where the Apostle Paul referenced this passage and said that this passage is an announcement of the gospel. Listen to Galatians Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. And this is the announcement of the gospel. We saw it uh, just a moment ago. All nations will be blessed through you. In other words, God was revealing the gospel through that. That one day all the nations of the world that had turned away from God will come and bow to God. And many of them will be reconciled to God. All people of all the nations one day will worship God. This is why we do missions in the world. This is also why we have a love for every ethnicity and every people group in the world. Because God's mission is to all peoples, all groups, all races, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, all persuasions, all orientations. God is working in this world saving sinners. And the announcement of the gospel is right here, that one day all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham, but not just through Abraham, but through the one who would one day come through Abraham. 
that there, Abraham's family would become the nation and the nation would become the cradle in which the Christ was born and brought to this world. So the Apostle Paul says this, So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this is what this whole passage should drive us to as we think about our brokenness and God's faithfulness, that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks, that our connection to God is by faith and faith alone. It's not our works that preserve us before God. It's not our works that give us a name before God. It's not our works that make us who we are. It's God's grace. And God's grace will lead to good works, of course. But that doesn't mean that we're not flawed. God takes flawed sinners like me and you. And he, just like with Abram, he calls them out of darkness and says, gives his word and awakens their heart. And the awakening of the heart causes faith to happen and sacrifice to happen. But as we get in the midst of life, we're still going to stumble. We're still going to be broken. We're still going to fall. And this actually becomes the story of Scripture that we need to closely pay attention to. That every person in the story is broken except one. And that's the one who is to come, who will lay down his life for our crookedness. He will take our crookedness and draw straight lines, a straight line to heaven, a straight line to God's heart, straight line to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you save sinners, that you save the broken, that you save the flawed. And we thank you, God, that you took this guy. What a great story. It helps all of us. That you took this regular pagan guy and you brought your salvation through him. May we know that, that you operate the same way with us. That you're not intimidated by our flaws. You're not disappointed in us and rejection, uh, rejecting of us. But because of your love and your grace, you come to us. You save us. And you even preserve us and walk with us when we make massive mistakes like Abram. Thank you, God, for being a God of goodness and grace. We pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace.